So let me ask you a question. Who's feeling Christmassy? Yeah, there's a few. Not that many, actually. There's some that haven't put their hands up yet. Well, I, <laughs> I tell you, for me, being on this stage with all these trees, that makes me Christmassy. But the thing that really makes me Christmassy is seeing Christmas carols. I love seeing Christmas carols. And, um, you know, Steph and I, over the past couple of weeks, have been to our kids' Christmas performances, nativity plays, and, and, and so forth. And Lucy's now part of uh, the choir at school. And so last Tuesday, they had their Christmas carol service. It was wonderful. Really lovely to sing some carols. And for me, that made me feel Christmassy, you know, singing those carols. And as I, and as I left the school and I had to go back to the office, got in my car and, and drove through the snowy depths of Hertfordshire, this was last week, you know, and the light was getting dim. You know, I half expected a, a Charles Dickens character to say, hello, governor, Merry Christmas. You know, it's one of those moments. <laughs> as, I was thinking, um, as I was thinking about carols, the carol in the bleak midwinter came to mind. That was last week, wasn't it? Do you know that carol? In the bleak midwinter. There you go. I'm not going to sing anymore. Don't worry. Don't panic. Um, but uh, I couldn't remember the words, actually, so when I got back to my computer, I kind of Googled in the bleak midwinter. Did you know, by the way, as an aside, it is based on a poem by a lady called Christina Rossetti. There you go. You learned something today. Um, and the poem was published under the title A Christmas Carol in January 1872. There you go. Oh, look, here you go. Here's the first verse. Why don't we read this? I'll read this. In the bleak midwinter, frosty wind made moan. Earth stood hard as iron, water like a stone. Snow had fallen, snow on snow, snow on snow. That's what the Victorians did to say a lot of snow. In the bleak midwinter, long ago. Wow, what a picture, hey? Sounds like last week. I love it. The frosty wind you can see it moaning, almost in pain. The, hurt, the earth hard as iron, no life there. Water no longer flowing, hardened. Snow covering all signs of life. Not just one layer, but many layers of snow. No life, no hope, bleakness in the depths of winter. But, who remembers verse 2? Anybody? Don't worry, nor do I. Something happens, something monumental, something epic. Do you want to know? Let me read it. Here it comes. Our God, heaven cannot hold him, nor earth sustain. Heaven and earth shall flee away when he comes to reign. In the bleak midwinter, a stable place sufficed. The Lord God Almighty Jesus Christ. Amen, hey? Wow, isn't that powerful? Seemingly out of nowhere, God comes down. First light breaks. Where hope and life seems to have faded. Where there is utter bleakness, God comes to reign in that very moment. What a contrast. I love it. One minute darkness, no life, next minute life. But of course, where else have we seen this contrast? This, of course, is, is uh, telling the story of the Christmas story, or more specifically, God's plan to rescue mankind. 
And that brings us to the main reading this morning, which is Isaiah 9, verses 2 to 7, because we see this poem played out right here. So why don't you turn with me, Isaiah 9, verses 2 and 7, it will be on the screen as well. And while you're turning there, let me give you some context. You see, Isaiah the prophet is prophesying in chapter 8 about the upcoming swift invasion of Assyria that would exile the northern kingdom, because at this point the kingdom had been split into two. Why is that? Well, because the Israelites were in rebellion. Because of their wicked ways, they had forgotten their God. Their hearts had become like stone, snow on snow. You know, we have to trace our steps back to 1 Samuel 8, verses 6. What happened? The Israelites said to Samuel, we want our own earthly king like every other nation. We no longer want God to lead us. We want a king. And God said to Samuel, because Samuel was disturbed, he said, they have not rejected you, Samuel. They have rejected me. They have rejected me. And so it is in this context that we read Isaiah 9, verses 2 to 7. You there now? The people walking in darkness. There you go. In the bleak midwinter. What happens? Have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning will be fuel for the fire. Talk about a bleak midwinter. But here you go. Verse 2. For us, or should I say verse 6, for us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from the time on forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen. You see, what Isaiah is saying here is that in the bleakness of what is about to come, in the bleakness of midwinter, in the hardness of life, there will be a great light, a great redeemer, Jesus. And here's the thing, when you read this, unto us a child is born, I don't know about you, but it makes me feel Christmassy. And the problem with that is we kind of just revert to, oh, I'm feeling Christmassy and fuzzy, and we don't really understand the, 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 the kind of heart of what's happening here. At least I do, I'm sure you don't. So what I want us to do is spend some time diving into this and exploring and understanding exactly what's going on here. And to do that, I have three points that I want to extract from this. And the first one is this. What we hear, what we see here is God's mercy. God's mercy. You know, the Israelites had so many warnings. So many warnings. Eight preceding chapters of judgment here. But then what happens? God's mercy cannot be restrained. God's mercy cannot be restrained. Why? Because mercy triumphs over judgment always. Mercy triumphs 
over judgment. There was still a chance for the Israelites, still a chance in spite of their rejection to God and having earthly kings that took them in all manner of directions. Read Chronicles. In spite of all that, still a chance to experience God's love and mercy. And you know, for us at this Christmas time, you might be sitting there thinking, God can't forgive me. You might even be a Christian, but your snow, your heart has snow on snow. Because you, you cut, you've guilt and shame are stopping you from going to God and saying, I'm sorry, Lord. Let me tell you, at this Christmas time, you can experience his mercy. You can experience his mercy. Lamentations, Lamentations 3 verse 23, his compassion is anew every morning. That is our God. And each Christmas time is a reminder of his great mercy towards us. Because friends, let's be honest and truthful about this. There will come a time of God's final judgment on this earth. When Jesus comes again. When every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So the question might be, well how many more Christmas times until final judgment, until Jesus comes? Let me read this, 2 Peter 3 verse 9. The Lord is not slow about his promise, referencing coming again, as some count slowness. But is patient towards you. Why? Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. What a God. Mercy triumphs over judgment always. And maybe this morning you're sitting here and you've yet to say yes to Jesus. Now is the time. Now is the moment this Christmas to say yes. I need you, Lord. Yes, I need you, Lord. Second thing that we learn from this, that's God's mercy. Second thing is God's sovereignty. Let me say this very clearly and plainly. He is in control. You know, God didn't wait for the Israelites to say, okay, we messed up, we need you. In the bleakness of winter, God didn't wait for the Israelites to say, we messed up, help us please. They couldn't. We can't. We can't save ourselves, can we? As our hearts are as hard as stone, as snow on snow, God is in control. You know, you would be forgiven if you look at the world around you to think that maybe God has checked out. That maybe he's left us to our own devices. The man has called him the shots. You know, the ravages of sin are everywhere around us. Sickness, disease, discourse, war, etc., etc., etc. It's enough to make your heart moan as the wind, isn't it? Or maybe you see God as some benevolent old man sitting in his armchair watching the world. Impotent. Let me tell you something. God is in control. He is sovereign. He has a plan for mankind. More specifically, he has a plan for you this Christmas. Maybe this morning you've stopped trusting God. This year's been hard. Maybe sickness, financial worries, maybe friendship issues, maybe all of that and more. And you've come to the conclusion that actually God's not in control. 
Let us remember this Christmas season that God is in charge. Let me read you this. Isaiah chapter 46 verse 10. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have been done, saying, My purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. When we remember this Christmas season that Jesus came down, let us remember God's sovereignty. Next one. God with us. Emmanuel. He sent a child. Born of Mary. You know, I, I, I often think about God's rescue plan and, and wonder why God didn't just do it from heaven. I mean, he could, right? Done. Why? Why a baby born of Mary? Three things I want to look at. First one, to identify with us. To identify with us. Hebrews 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. Really? In every way. Just as we are. Yet he did not sin. You know, in this Christmas time, beneath the, the froth and the funness of Christmas and all that that gives, maybe you're experiencing an emotional bleak midwinter. Maybe after you've had the Christmas parties and you go home and close your front door, you feel that frosty wind. Let me say, Jesus has been there. Jesus identifies with you. The Garden of Gethsemane, the cross, a moment of bleak midwinter. He knows your pain, he hears your cries. He is there to bring comfort, to intercede for you, to stand in the gap at the right hand of God. Why? Because he has been there. You know, our God is not some alien God, disconnected from who we are and how we feel. But a loving God who, as it says in Philippians 2, verse 7, emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. What kind of God does that? <laughs> what kind of holy, all-powerful God takes the form of a baby for you? A God who loves you. A God who is jealous after you. A God that has numbered the very hairs on your head. That's the kind of God that we serve and that we love and that came to this earth as a babe to save us. Wow. The second sub point then God with us. Why? To lead the way, to demonstrate and model what it means to do the will of the Father. John 5 verse 19, very truly I tell you, the Son, Jesus, can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. Well, how can we do the same? This is Jesus after all. Jesus, fully God, fully man. Tempted in all ways and yet without sin. Here's the thing you see. 
The life of Christ, his victories, his righteousness is made available to us as we walk in the Spirit. This is the wonderful thing, you see. While Jesus identifies with us, and we've just looked at that, we identify with him. Don't we experience that in the waters of baptism? That symbolizes that we die with Christ and we are raised with him, a new creation in Christ Jesus. And what happens, you see, is that the the power of the Spirit in us enables us to walk in the life of Christ. All his victories become our victories. We call that, that technical term a process of sanctification from one degree of glory to the next. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit becomes available as we walk in that. That couldn't have happened if God just did it from heaven. God knew exactly what he was doing. God with us, Emmanuel, the third final point on that is to take our place. To take our place. To pay the price which we should have paid. To pay the penalty of sin, death. You know, one of the biggest mistakes, one of the biggest dangers what I hear Christians talk about is they get into this thought that there's a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament. Well, you know, the God of the Old Testament is all about judgment and the God of the New Testament is all about love. Let me tell you right now, if you, if, if you think that, you're missing the point of the cross God's judgment was pointed to the cross. God's mercy is not forgetting about it all. God's mercy is making a way for us to have relationship with God through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. He paid the penalty on our behalf. This Christmas time, we can get warm and fuzzy about the baby in the manger, and that's fine. We should. It's lovely. But you see the stable pointed to the cross. Jesus came to take our place. Jesus came to take our place. Why? For that divine exchange. Our sin imputed to to Jesus. His righteousness imputed to us. Why? So that when God looks at you and I, he looks at us as holy. Our position with God. And here's the thing, you see. The Israelites said, no, we don't want God to be our king. Jesus restored that kingship in our hearts. Jesus made a way for the kingship of God to be restored in our hearts. You know, we came to Jesus with with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And Jesus came with a gift of everlasting life. We did pretty well out of that one, didn't we? You can't outgive God, by the way. I'll invite the band up. So let me ask you a question. Where are you at this morning? Maybe your heart feels like it's got snow on snow on top of it. Let me say this, the light melts the snow. Jesus' presence melts our hearts. Where we have hardened our hearts through lack of trust, through pain, through grief, Jesus is here with healing on his wings this morning.
to bring hope where you lack hope, to bring life where you feel lifeless, to bring friendship where you feel alone, to bring comfort where you feel sorrow. That is the Lord that we worship this morning, and that is the promise of this Christmas time. And so I want to encourage you, in the busyness of Christmas, let us take a moment to pause and allow Christ to truly, truly, truly reign in our hearts. I'd like you to stand, please. So um, let's go back to our carol in the bleak midwinter. How does it end? Well, the same way in which I encourage us to respond this morning. Let me read the first five. What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what can I give him? Give him my heart. You know, I purposely finished a bit early because I feel prompted the Lord wants to minister to us at this time. Let's just wait on the Lord now. Don't need to rush away. Let's allow the Lord just to minister to us. Holy Spirit, would you come now? Come first light. Shine on our hearts. Come Holy Spirit. Come, Sovereign Lord, in all your mercy and your grace and your compassion. Come, Sovereign Lord. Thank you, Jesus. If this morning, you know, you've, you felt the Holy Spirit just stir something in your heart, maybe you've allowed your heart to have layers of snow. Or maybe the frosty wind has been causing you pain. If you want to receive that first light this morning, I'd just put your hand on your heart as a symbol to say, yes, that's me. And I would like to pray for you now. If that's you, just put your hand on your heart. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray this morning that you would touch our hearts. That where we have been experiencing a bleak midwinter, you would burst through. Just as a sun melts the snow, so would you melt our hearts now. Help us to receive you, for we cannot do it ourselves. Lord, I pray your blessing upon these people that have responded. Lord, those areas of hardness, would you melt right now? Where there's lack of trust, would they learn to trust you again? Where there's fear of desolation, help them to trust you again. Where there's fear of being found out, I just have that phrase, just comfort them now. And where there is guilt and shame, just wash it away, Lord. Wash it away. 
as the snow melts, as it washes away the pavements and the streets and the roads, would you do that right now, Lord? Just wash it away. Come, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Let us worship him now.